You're listening to Love, Maine Radio with Dr. Lisa Belisle, recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a physician trained in family and preventative medicine, acupuncture, and public health. She offers medical care and acupuncture at Brunswick Family Medicine. Read more about her integrative approach to wellness in Maine Magazine. Love, Maine Radio is available for download free on iTunes. See the Love Maine Radio Facebook page or www.lovemainradio.com for details. Now here are a few highlights from this week's program. We're going to help train the next generation of organic dairy farmers for Maine and New England, and we feel like we're a great fit for it. The property is really well suited to, to dairy, even though we've never done dairy, and, um, and we think that the benefits can be really far-reaching and, and long-lasting for Maine and New England. Being a farmer means that you're de- you're dedicating your life to something, and everybody has a specific purpose in, in life, I think, and to be given an opportunity in which you can do what you think is, is best for you, I think that being a dairy farmer is an exciting experience for myself and for these young folks that want to do it as well. You know, it gives them an opportunity, and it's, right, and, it's, and it's in a perfect location. Freeport is so close to everything. Love, Maine Radio is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. This is Dr. Lisa Belisle, and you are listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 186, Farm Fresh, Maine, airing for the first time on Sunday, April 5th, 2015. Maine has a rich agricultural heritage. It was considered the breadbasket of the Northeast during Civil War times when it provided much of the wheat for the Union Army. Today we are experiencing a resurgence of interest in farming as a new generation takes to the fields to provide us with local nourishment. On today's show, we speak with David Herring and Matthew de Grandpre of Wolfsneck Farm about the transformations they have witnessed and why they are passionate about Maine agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Having been working with Love, Maine Radio for several years now, it is a great privilege to spend time with people um, more than once. And today we're spending time with David Herring, who we had on talking about Maine Hudson Trails in one of our very early shows. Today he's here because he's representing Wolf's Neck Farm. David Herring has been in management and leadership roles for nonprofit organizations for the last 15 years. He became the executive director of Wolf's Neck Farm in 2012, and since then, the Freeport-based nonprofit has gone through major transformation that includes an ambitious new long-range vision and the impending launch of a major new initiative to support the future of organic dairy in Maine and New England. It's so great to have you back again here. Thank you. It's great to be back. First, I want to talk to you about um, why it was that you went from... Maine Hudson Trails to Wolf's Neck Farm. Anybody who's been listening to the radio show for a while probably has the same question that I do. Yep, and you're not the only one. It's funny, I think my parents and my family still are kind of like, so wait, you're a farmer now? And it's not quite uh, that simple. Um, You know, Maine is one of those places where, you know, I think people oftentimes choose the place more so than they, than, they choose a job in that place, if, if you will, and that, you know, I was, I, I was drawn to Maine for a number of reasons, and I, I 
got the gig at, at Maine Huts and, and it was amazing and, and, and yet it was time for a change and I knew that I had kind of chosen a career path that was a little bit uh, unique and um, and so it took me a little bit of time to, to think through um, kind of what would be the right next step for me and, and I knew that I knew I wanted to stay in Maine I knew that I wanted to lead an organization that was place-based um, as opposed to you know, policy or advocacy or, or other important things, but I, I, I'm very, I connect to places. And the opportunity at Wolfsnack really spoke to me right away because even though on the surface it's farming, uh, it's, it's a place that needs to be cared for. It's a place that uh, people love, that people are drawn to, and that, that I, I knew that I could, I could help uh, help use the place, help the organization use the place to connect people to, to nature and to food and to health. And um, so for a number of reasons, it, it made sense to me. And, and what's been amazing, honestly, is that uh, since I took the job, I, I have continually been, um, it, my choice has been affirmed and reaffirmed many, many times just because I think it's been a great fit. How old are your children now? Four and 18 months. So when we interviewed you a few years ago, you just had you just had the one yeah. and pretty small. Yeah, she she was probably one and uh, maybe maybe coming up on two. I don't remember exactly when we did the did the show. Um, that was part of it too. I mean, the the main hot gig kind of had me spread all around, and and I was at a point where I wasn't sure we were going to move up to Carabasset and stay with the organization. And when I decided that it was time to find another opportunity. Um, we we knew that it was kind of the that was the, the the next domino to fall, if you will, and that I needed to get that job so that we could get a bigger house, so that we could have another kid, and kind of pursue our dreams, and all that kind of fell into place. Well, that's the sense as you were talking that I was getting was this sort of this evolution of a family. You know, the the need to settle in, the need to put down roots, and it's it's really great that Wilsonek is was available to do that for you. Totally, and it, you know, I think what's been really great is that it's it's just a great fit for our family and for um, for me as a parent and for my kids and and because they they love it there and they think it's Daddy's farm even though it's it's not. Um, uh, I just get get the honor and privilege of enjoying it uh, every day. I used to have um, a small writing cottage down in that area, so I would I would. In between writing, I would go out for hikes and I would hike out to Wolf's Neck Farm and along Recompense Shores. And it's so, I want to use the word bucolic, you know, it's, yeah. it's, so, it's so bucolic, it's so Maine. It is. Yeah. Um, and it's something that a lot of southern Maine families have enjoyed for quite a while, watching the calves being born and watching the animals, other animals come into the world. It feels like a gift. Well, it is a gift, and and it's one that that uh, you know I think that we could enjoy even more than we are now um, by um, just by caring for the place and and um, and by creating opportunities for people to connect with it. You know, the history of Wolf's Neck is interesting. It's I mean, it was a gift from the Smith family back in the '80s, and it was it was gifted to the University of Southern Maine. 
And they had it for about 10 years, and then it came back to a small foundation that the family had set up. And at that time, that was in the mid-90s, they turned it into a nonprofit operating foundation. And so, you know, it's it's interesting. It was a gift that was gifted once and then kind of gifted back. And, and now, in some ways, I feel like the transformation that we're going through is one where we're kind of re-gifting it again. The thing that I found interesting was that you had cows, and I knew the cows, and then the cows went away because I believe Pineland got the cows. But now cows are back, but in a very different way. Uh, well, almost back. Yeah, so, almost back. yeah, <laughs> they're coming back. We're bringing the cows back home. So, um, yeah, it, well, in the space between when Pineland left and uh, and now, we have had cows there. We've had anywhere from, from 50 to 100 head of cattle there each year that we've been raising in partnership with other farms um, to kind of help them bring up their capacity and, and continue to support local food. But it was kind of a placeholder, if you will, while we as an organization figured out, well, why, why are we farming and for what purpose and kind of what's our higher calling? And it, it, it's taken some time to get there, but I think we've really landed on something special. So we decided about, uh, I think it was about a year and a half ago, we uh, entered into some conversations with the folks at Stonyfield. Um, Stonyfield is the largest organic uh, yogurt brand in the country and the number three yogurt brand in the country. And they started telling us about some of the challenges facing organic dairy uh, in Maine and New England and, and, and the country. Um, and we, we at the time were looking for kind of a higher calling and, uh, related to farming and kind of what are we, what are we gonna dedicate this, this amazing farm property too and um and so long story short we're gonna help train the next generation of organic dairy farmers for maine and new england and and uh we feel like we're a great fit for it the property is really well suited to to dairy even though we've never done dairy and um and we think that the benefits can be really far-reaching and and long-lasting for maine and new england we had cecily pingree on the show and she was talking about um the film that she had produced about Moo Milk, Maine's own organic milk. And when I heard of its untimely demise, I was very sad because I think that this is something that we need. If you're going to drink milk, you need to get it from a safe and healthy source. So when this opportunity um, came into being, that made me really happy. Well, good. Me too. Um, you know, and even though the two aren't necessarily connected, I mean, it was it was maybe just happenstance that Moo was going away right around the time that we launched our program or, or announced the launch of our program. So they're not necessarily connected, but but it's all part of the same industry, and that's that's agriculture and uh, and organic dairy more specifically, and. You know, it's vital for Maine's rural economy to have a, a thriving um, agricultural economy, and, and dairy and organic dairy are, are really kind of the backbone of that. And there, there used to be so much more dairy being produced in Maine, and, and there isn't nearly as much now. And that's an issue on a number of fronts, and, and so we feel that having more organic dairy being produced in Maine will help support rural economies. It's gonna support our health. It's gonna keep organic dairy on the shelves in the store, which is an issue in Maine and across the country. And, uh, and hopefully it's gonna mean that the, that the market share for organic dairy products grows um, while uh, the market share potential for conventional dairy then would, would shrink just a bit. 
tell me what that looks like. What is it that your organization, what, what is it that Wolfsneck Farm is going to do to promote the education of organic dairy farmers in the state? Yeah, so it's, it's really twofold. So one is, a, and, and the official title of the program is the Organic Dairy Research and Farmer Training Program. So the research side is one where we're going to really focus on partnering with um, partnering with people and, and organizations and entities interested in doing research uh, related to organic dairy and specifically related to forages and pasture-based management and and ways to help um, help create a more viable and profitable enterprise for small organic dairy farmers. So that's kind of one way that we're going to help support current dairy farmers or current organic dairy or, or, or regular conventional dairy farmers. Um, the, the new farmer training piece is one where, so the, the average age of dairy farmers in Maine is somewhere around 60. And in the next five or so years, a, a lot of those folks are going to be interested in retiring and they're going to need to transition out. And so with, with 60 or r- roughly 50 or 60 organic dairies right now in Maine, that could mean that maybe as many as half of them could be going away in the next five years. Years. And, and this is one of the challenges that or one of the concerns that Stonyfield had was if, if we're going to continue to grow as a business and, and other organic dairy businesses are going to continue to grow, how's that going to be possible if nobody's if, if the amount of milk being produced is, is going down? So we saw an immediate need there to kind of dedicate the property at Wolf's Neck to, to training these new farmers. So each year, four new trainees are going to come in and live on the farm for a residential training program where they'll stay there for 18 months, and they'll, uh, they'll work under the direction of a, of a director of the program, but also a team of advisors that is a really impressive group that we've assembled, an 18-member advisory board. And, um, and they're going to learn all about how to be a profitable and viable organic dairy business. And, and, and I say business because that's, that's really what farming is. It's a business. And if you're, if you're great with animals but you're not good with business, it, it's not going to necessarily mean that you're going to run a viable business. So we're going to spend a lot of time focused on business planning, on financial management, um, on pasture management and, and lots of the hard, hard skills and technical skills that they're going to need. But I, I think that the industry isn't necessarily hurting for people who have technical skills and people who love animals or, or want to be in farming, but it's more that people need to understand how to, how to be a viable and profitable business and how to manage a business. There's also a certain amount of hard work that goes into farming that until you actually are doing it, it's probably impossible to understand. So this will probably give people the opportunity to really understand what that means to be going into this field. Well, definitely, and it's a good point. I mean, I think we're hoping that we can attract trainees who who have already maybe kind of crossed that bridge and understood and under, understand that this is hard work, that this is, um, this is going to be something that they're going to dedicate their lives to. But I think one of the things that we've been talking about, the team of folks that's been putting together the training, is that we want the training to be harder and more challenging than what they're going to face afterwards. And so we've been kind of just putting a lot of thought into what does that mean and how do we how do we make this as real world as possible and even taking it a step further how do we make it more challenging than real world so that when they get out they're prepared for what they're going to be facing which is a lot of hard work and potentially hardships but um, but we want to make sure that the people coming out of this program are are ready 
Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Bangor Savings Bank. For over 150 years, Bangor Savings has believed in the innate ability of the people of Maine to achieve their goals and dreams. Whether it's personal finance, business banking, or wealth management assistance you're looking for, at Bangor Savings Bank, you matter more. For more information, visit www.bangor.com. We at Love, Maine Radio enjoy a special relationship with Apothecary by Design. Join us in the offices of Maine Magazine for Seeing Maine, Profiles of Resilience, which features photography by Smith Galtney, capturing the story, struggles, and victories that form the changing face of HIV and AIDS in Maine. This photography exhibit will be available from March 27th to April 24th at 75 Market Street, the offices of Maine Magazine. We hope you take the time to stop by. Also in April, we'll be featuring the Apothecary by Design speaker series with Dr. Matthew Siegel and Alice Chaplick, both of whom you've heard on Love, Maine Radio as guests discussing autism here in Maine. We invite you to join us on Tuesday, April 7th from 5 to 7 p.m. at the offices of Maine Magazine, 75 Market Street. For more information on our Apothecary by Design speaker series and Dr. Matthew Siegel and Alice Chaplick, please visit lovemainradio.com or our Facebook page, Love Maine Radio. There's also a family element to this particular vocation that I that doesn't really exist in other um, occupations. If you're going to be a farmer, then your your family is going to be a farming family. That's different. Well, it is different, and we put a lot of thought into the size of the model that we're going to be operating at Wolf's Neck. So the the idea is that the the we're going to have a sixty to eighty head milking herd, and that's roughly uh, that's right in the range for a small family farm. And what we want to do is we want to you know train these new farmers using that model and have it be replicable. So they they would then go off with their families if if they have a family, and and start small family farms because that's that's what Maine is well suited to. It's uh, Maine and New England are well suited to that. The the topography and the geography here in Maine is well suited to that. You know, and even though dairy has kind of gone uh, bigger and uh, fewer in terms of bigger dairy farms, fewer of them, and more cows, that's not necessarily well suited to New England and to Maine. And and Maine is 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 much better suited to small family farms, and that's why we feel that setting up the model the way we are is going to be well suited to that. I always found it interesting that the Wolf's Neck property had so many different aspects to it. I know that the coastal studies for girls, there's a relationship there. There's Recompense Shores, there's a relationship there. I was there for Taste of the Nation, so I know that events happened there. There was an event that you did last summer um, was held at a, a barn where you can go to have a wedding done. And that's very main, too, that you can have different offerings um, in different areas in order to create a viable um, location. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think we, uh, you know, it's it's interesting. I had no idea how much goes on on a Wolf's Neck Farm until I, until I took this job. And, and uh, it's a tremendous amount, especially when you fold in the campground and kind of that visitor aspect of it and the thousands of people that come out there each year to go hiking or camping or kayaking or biking. You name it, but you know, in some ways, we're kind of that that the model farm in that the most successful farms have a second income, 
um, at the farm. So, uh, you know, maybe one person in the family is the farmer and the other one is supporting the farmer, but is also maybe a nurse or a teacher or a doctor or, or, or something else. And so in some ways, Wolf's Neck is kind of like that, even though we're obviously a different entity because we're a nonprofit organization. But we, we, you know, we have the campground and we have these other recreational experiences. We have events. We have, uh, you know, just other things that are going on out there that that help us uh, help support our farming and help support our mission and, and what we're doing out there. There is a history of of saltwater farms in Maine, which I think is very unique. I mean, I, I assume that you can have a saltwater farm anywhere that there's salt water. But that's different than big dairy, big dairy in the the middle of the United States. I mean, that gives us a very unique uh, way of offering a product. It does. And, you know, I think that the Wolf's, the, the Wolf's Neck property is really well suited to dairy. I think people asked, uh, people were kind of like, wow, so you've never done dairy out there. It's always been a beef farm, but you've never done dairy. Well, you know, beef comes from cows and so does milk. And so, and, and the more that we're learning about raising cows on pasture, and this isn't just we, Wolf's Neck, but we as a society, the more that we're learning about raising cows on grass, the more that we're um, coming to understand that it's better for our health, it's better for the environment, uh, it's better for, uh, better for our farms and better for our soil. And, uh, and there's no place that it's more important to, to do that than in a place like Wolf's Neck because we're coastal and because we've got all these amazing natural resources surrounding us. It's, 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 it's imperative that we take care of the soil, that we take care of the farm, and that we manage it in a way that's going to help um, help us be good stewards of, of those natural resources, and, and specifically the clam flats. I mean, Freeport is a really productive clam flat uh, zone, and um, there are dozens of families or more in Maine that, that make their livelihood from that. So it's just, it's critical that we are farming in a way that's respectful of everything that's going on out there. We haven't really talked about why one would care about have, having organic milk or organic dairy products. And I'm sure that a lot of people who are listening have some idea as to why organic anything is a good idea. But I, I, I know that when I have patients who come to see me and they drink milk in their family, it's even more important, I think, to be able to access organic dairy and dairy products because this is a this has fat in it. Dairy milk has fat in it, and fat is where things are stored. And so, if you drink, um, if you drink something that has fat that's not healthy, it's got pesticides in it, it's got antibiotics in it, it's got um, things that might disrupt the hormone system. Then that actually is going to have more of an impact on you than maybe eating um, non non organic produce. Mm-hmm. But we don't hear about this all the time. Well. Milk is a big business, and and um, you're right. We probably don't hear that much about it. And, and and since I've since we've kind of launched this initiative or decided to launch this this initiative, I've certainly learned a lot about the the world of organic dairy. And and uh, you know, uh, I, I've had a, a lot of conversations with people that they've that they've said, well, what's what's the difference? Like, what what makes organic milk organic? And and really, the primary difference is what they're eating. You know, so a conventional um, a conventional cow that's producing milk, um, th- there are no r- restrictions or uh, regulations around um, 
that cow getting access to the outside. There's no um, regulations around what they're eating, um, or I shouldn't say no regulations, but they can eat they can eat a grain-based diet, and that's not necessarily what cows were meant to do. But that's what conventional dairy has done. When you look at um, kind of making it as profitable as possible, so the lifespan of conventional dairy cows is more like two to three years, and they're they're you know we found that giving them lots of grain is is helping them produce more and more milk but it's not necessarily good for the cow and it's not necessarily um, always what's best for for people either so or, organic milk really is um, it's milk that's produced from cows that spend a, a, a the better portion of their time outside. And when they're outside, they're doing what cows are naturally uh, disposed, predisposed to do, and that's eat grass. So, um, so the primary difference is that cows that are producing organic milk are, prim- are, are eating primarily a diet of forages. So they're eating, they're eating what's growing in the pastures that they're having access to. And what that does is it produces a product that uh, has more uh, more better fats and is, is just is a, is a healthier product and it, not to mention that uh, you know the grass the, the soil that that grass is growing in can't be treated with uh, pesticides or or fertilizers that that don't meet the organic standards so you know not only is organic milk better for you it's also better for the environment just like organic produce is um, versus conventionally grown produce I would also assume that cows that are eating out grass outside, which is what they're meant to do, are going to feel less stressed than cows that are kept inside and fed grain. Healthier cow, you know, healthier cows produce better milk and, and healthier milk, and that's that's definitely the case. Yeah. Does it taste different? I, I don't necessarily know that it tastes different. Uh, you know what? What does taste different in a product that is just now coming out or just kind of coming out in Maine, if, if you go to like uh, Whole Foods, you might see it, or Bow Street and Freeport, I see, is, is carrying it. Organic Valley has a, a line called Grass Milk. So it's 100% grass-fed cows producing that milk. And, and uh, what's interesting about it is if you if you drink it at d- different times of the year, it's been said that it kind of the, the taste takes on the taste of uh, the forages that they're eating at that time of the year. Um, so if, if you're drinking it in the winter, it's, chances are that cow is eating uh, baled hay and baleage and, and silage versus in the summer, it, it, and, and at different times in the summer or fall, it might be eating different kinds of grasses that bring a different taste to the milk. So I think that I think that when when you go to the lengths of eating grass or drinking grass milk, I think you'd notice a difference. But I, I don't necessarily know that people can te- can tell much of a difference between organic milk and, and conventional milk. Well, I don't drink milk, I must admit, so I will never be able to know this for myself. But for people who are listening who drink milk, I would I would love to hear if they're what their perception of grass milk versus non-grass milk, organic versus non-organic, just because I think it's kind of interesting. You know, this is food that comes from somewhere. So all the things you just described go into making this food, and then we put it in our bodies. So that makes a difference. It does, and it makes, you know, just like, you know, it's interesting. The more you think about the food that you're eating, there's there's so many things to think about, you know, how it's grown or where it came from or, or, or what, 
what we have to do to grow it and or 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 how far we have to transport it and and dairy has its own whole mystery behind it as well and and we you know just some of the stuff that we're talking about in terms of what it takes to produce it and whether it's conventional or organic and is it is it from cows that were grown or raised on a feedlot in in texas or you know where there are 2,000 other cows there and they they occupy 10 acres or is it from cows that were raised on pasture at a farm in albion maine where there's you know 30 cows and and 100 acres and they're enjoying time outside and being healthy and and uh you know when you start dialing in like that it kind of makes it easier to go to the grocery store and pay a little bit more because the the cost of of food is is been kind of skewed a little bit over over the years when you think about things like subsidies for corn and, and things like that and and so it makes it easy to make that choice, at least for for for, for people that that can afford it to to go a dollar more and, and and buy an organic product. David, how can people find out about the organic dairy program and the work that you're doing at Wolfsneck Farm? Well, obviously they can go to our website, so wolfsneckfarm.org, and we've got a, a number of new pages on there now about the organic dairy program. And, and later this month, we hope to begin accepting applications for the first four trainees for the program. So if 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 you're listening and you're somebody who is into dairy or into organic dairy and, and you, you know that this is a career that you want to pursue, but you need a little bit more um, to get you to the point where you're ready for farm ownership or far, farm operation, um, this could be a good opportunity for you to, to pursue that career and, and help revive Maine's organic dairy industry. We've been speaking with David Herring, who is the executive director of Wolfsneck Farm in Freeport. Thank you so much for coming in and talking to us again today. Thanks so much. I enjoyed it. As a physician and small business owner, I rely on Marcy Booth from Booth, Maine to help me with my own business and to help me live my own life fully. Here are a few thoughts from Marcy. When was the last time you took a break from what you were doing, from the work that was piled up on your desk, and just looked up? I know that during the course of my days, I often forget to take a moment or two to just breathe look up at the sky, and dream. Terrible that I have to remind myself to breathe, but when I do, I feel energized because in those moments, I'm able to let go of the daily grind and think more about what I want to accomplish, how I want my business to grow. Sometimes, those are the aha moments. If we all took a few moments out each day to stop what we're doing and dream a little about our business futures, not only would we feel a great sense of calm, but we may come to realize that these dreams can, in fact, come true. I'm Marcy Booth. Let's talk about the changes you need. BoothMaine.com This segment of Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. We on Love Maine Radio enjoy bringing the pages of Maine Magazine to life. And today that's just what we're doing as we speak with Matt DeGrampre, who is the Farm Operations Manager at Wolfsneck Farm. Born and raised in Freeport, Wolfsneck Farm has always been a part of Matt's life. 
His grandfather, Charlie, moved the family up to Maine in the late 1960s from a dairy farm in Massachusetts and immediately began transforming and managing the farm. And the reason I say that we're bringing the pages of Maine Magazine to life is that you were actually featured in an article that was written by Sandy Lang and photographed by Peter Frank Edwards that's in our um, upcoming issue. So you're a star. Thanks for coming in. We're so lucky to have you. You're welcome. This is a little different than what you normally do on a day-to-day basis as as a farm operations manager. Mm. Tell me what that looks like. Well, I was welding about 30 minutes ago, so um, it's, you know, it kind of gives me a a little bit of a variety of what uh, all of the things that I've learned in the last, you know, 10 or so years kind of following around my dad and my grandfather and my uncle. So it allows me to do the things that I love, and that's auto mechanics as well as some carpentry and plumbing and heating and electrical and stuff like that. So my day-to-day kind of chore list is just keeping the farm a safe place for people to come and enjoy as well as a beautiful place and maintain it so that we can get the same quality of um you know, product out to the customers that they want. And, uh, you know, things change after years. So it's a it's a big property to take care of. It's a, a beautiful place. It is, yes. It's a pretty great place to yeah. work, to be able to look out there and you have, you have the fields, you have the woods, you have the ocean, you have the animals. Absolutely. So yeah. what is that like in the winter? Well, the winter is kind of a quiet time on the farm, a lot more... Um, activity you know with people cross-country skiing and snowshoeing in the campground Um, but it's also pretty quiet in the barn it allows us to be able to kind of bring power tools in and start making upgrades to the barn uh, just because we don't have as much foot traffic and uh, it's a lot colder and of course with all the snow we've had this year we've just spent a lot of time making these uh, kind of the wintertime upgrades so our our chore list that we've kind of held off between you know haying season and and the busy season allows us to do those sorts of things in the wintertime the first time that I went to Wolf's Neck Farm, I believe um, I was bringing my oldest, who's now 21, to watch the the calves being born. So talking about foot traffic, you have a lot of people that come in and out to see the animals. You have a lot of sc- schools and families. and Yeah, the education department at the farm has has grown quite a bit. I mean, it's always been there. It's at a little bit of a different level now. I think it's a lot more of a a focus to people in this state that want to know a lot more about where their food's coming from. And I think that's kind of happened more or less in the last couple of years as people realize that what they're getting at a normal grocery store isn't, isn't what they want for their kids or for their family so as that has transitioned I think a lot more people want to come to the farm and see the animals and see how they're getting taken care of and know that you know it could be their neighbor as the person that's feeding them in the morning or it could be a student that they have in class that's down there after school helping out so you know it involves a lot of people in the community people that uh, need volunteer hours or high school students that you know that are need those hours can come in work there so it's more of like um, of a family you know of people and not that we're all related but we're all there together doing kind of accomplishing the same task what has it been like for you to be a part of a family that works on a farm together this is your grandfather charlie is 88 and today as we're recording this 
I know that your uncle once was a manager also, and your father has been involved. And you really, this is something that a lot of people don't have. They don't get to see their fathers, grandfathers, uncles on a day-to-day basis as part of work. What's that like for you? Well, it's 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 an awesome thing. It's it allows me to kind of uh, work off of them. I see I see them all the time. I mean, and uh, we all we all live within five miles of each other. So, um, you know, it it becomes difficult to be able to you know find ways to separate life and business. But it's a lifestyle that we live and we choose to live and. Um, my dad takes care of the campground, so a lot of times in the summer I don't get to see him. I've got a July birthday, so that's during the middle of hay season, so I don't really get to see too many people in that time. So it's more like the winter time is when we get to you know get together and enjoy ourselves a little bit more as a family. But um, my uncle is a carpenter at the farm as kind of a retirement hanging around, getting things done, helping us make the you know improvements and. Uh, my grandfather is still around, lives on the farm. Um, I live on the farm, so it's it's a unique experience. I think it's I think it's unique that there's three generations still alive, still down there, still working hard. Um, but I think what makes it special is that, you know, as I struggled to kind of get through high school and going into vocational school. I didn't necessarily, it wasn't a big concern to me about learning kind of the math and the English. It was more, how do I get to be a plumber, an electrician, a mechanic, a farmer? What What is it, what, what part of this class teaches me about that? You know, so as I was, people were saying, you know, you need to study hard and you need to do these things. I'm thinking, how how quickly can I get out there and, and put my hands on these topics? So, and that's where my family comes to play is they all, they all excel in a specific area. And so as we all come together as one, well, they call that farmers. I mean, those are the people that can do a little bit of everything, you know? So, um, so it's important to have everybody involved because I think that helps make you kind of a multi-purpose person. You graduated from Freeport High School mm-hmm. and... As you just mentioned, you had some vocational training, but you also did standards, English, math, and all of those things. Did you know when you were going through that you would someday be um, a manager at the farm? No, not at all. I went, uh, my junior years when I started at the main vocation region 10 in Brunswick, and uh, I started there knowing that I wanted to go for automotive. My dad's older brother, Richard, runs a garage in Freeport, and uh, I've kind of watched him uh, and his success there. And so I thought, well, if I go to be a mechanic and I kind of maybe follow Richard's footsteps, I could uh, start, you know, run my own garage. I've always wanted to be kind of working for myself. it's enjoyable to kind of be your own boss and to make your own mistakes and to learn and to and then succeed and and that's you know I I thought that if being you know becoming a mechanic I could do that in Freeport and uh, that people are always going to be driving cars so that's why I went into the mechanic part of it um, when I went to the vocational school I then realized that there's a lot more to it than just you know day-to-day maintenance there's a lot of tricks and a lot of different things that you learn on a vehicle that I use every day at the farm. Um, and that program at the main vocation school uh, 
brought me to Central Maine Community College, which is where I went to college, be only because my teacher knew that was a good fit for me. I had already paid to go to another school. I had already decided to go to Massachusetts and, and go to a certificate school. And he said, no, no, no. You've, I know your family. I know who you are. I know what you are going to do, even though you don't think you're going to be doing it. I want you to go to Brun I want you to take the day off and go up to Central Maine and do that program. So I did, and I ended up pulling out of the uh, um, school in Massachusetts to go to CMCC and uh, went there for automotive, and that was kind of when I realized uh, working in a dealership like the like my fellow classmates probably wasn't going to be a good fit. Um, so that was schooling was mainly trying to figure out who I was and what kind of th what other people were thinking of doing and what I was going to do differently. That's a lot to do. That's a lot to handle. I mean, mm -hmm. this is you're 25. Mm -hmm. A lot of people by the time they're 25 still don't know exactly what they're going to do. Still are trying to figure out what that all looks like. Was there some moment that some aha moment where you said, oh, wait, I know what I want to do now. Probably a lot of it has to go to the fact that when I was a baby, when I was a year old, my uncle, who was the operations manager at the farm, passed away. And when he left, he had, not only was he taking over my grandfather's legacy at Wolfneck, um, he was also running his own farm. He had two girls there. He had all his own excavation equipment. He had, you know, he had built himself a life at, you know, before he was probably 30 that was something that I would want to do and have all the equipment and have all the toys and be able to kind of live that dream of just being able to do kind of what you want on your own schedule and that's that was what he was doing and I when he passed away and as I got older and kind of learned more about what he was doing I thought well geez that you know he went to be a mechanic he went to school to be a mechanic why can't I just you know, as as I got older, my grandmother would say, oh, you remind me so much of David. You remind me so much of David. I thought, you know, I never, I never got to know David, but I got to know that I got to learn what he was, was as a person. And so I feel that since my grandmother's passed away and, and you know, my grandfather kind of tells me a little bit more about kind of what what David was doing. It's a lot like what I'm trying to do, you know, and, and starting to do. So I think a lot of it just has to do with the family is keeps on going, even when we have a tragedy like that. And so I, I, I it really boils down to what my family has been doing and how happy they seem to be, you know, and, and so, and that's what I'm looking for. I, I heard the word toys. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's what I think of my son and my nephews and just the awe that they have when they look at farm machinery or trucks or vehicles i mean it is there is this sense of joy and that you get to play with a big thing that moves and for you that must be great because you actually know how to fix it Absolutely, and yeah. i enjoy the outdoors a lot and i do i have atvs and snowmobiles and so i like to when i go on vacation i like to make sure i've got a big trailer behind me with a bunch of good stuff on it but a lot of it too is old farm equipment i've got an antique tractor my grandfather has an antique tractor we go to the fairs and do the antique tractor poles and you know engines are a hobby of mine and so uh it's it's kind of fun to be able to wheel and deal and buy things that I can use on the farm that will may maybe make me money in the wintertime, plowing snow and stuff like that. So 
um, it's 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 a it's a hobby and it's definitely something you know that I like to I've always loved doing and I'd like to keep doing it you know how early do you get up in the morning uh, very variable it's it's funny I I get up at three every morning to stoke the wood stove because I live in the oldest house in Freeport no insulation so I'm up early st- doing the wood fire and then it's pretty much coffee time and then I hit the door, I don't know, about 7.30 to get to the farm. And that's about 8, about the time everybody kind of starts getting going at the beef operation that, you know, or the feeding operation that we currently are right now. Once we get to dairy, I'm sure it'll be hours before that. But it's the afternoon that kind of takes over, you know, when you get home at like 7.30, 8 o'clock. And that's, that's kind of when you wind down the day. That's a long day. It's a lifestyle, you know, you're, you're doing some of your own things doing a lot of the farm things doing you know you're you're getting what you need to get done and and what the farm needs to have done and stuff like that so it's you know you it's it seems like a long day but it keeps you busy I mean you're you get up in the morning and you get and you're not punching in I'm not punching a time clock or anything I'm getting up when I get up and hitting the road and when the job's done that's when you get home and also there's a cyclical nature to it. So in the winter you do a certain set of jobs and oh, yeah. the spring it looks different and the summer Yeah, the winter in the fall. you get to sleep in and then in the summertime it gets it gets pretty crazy, especially I run the haying operation for the farm and so all of the maintenance that goes in before you even start the day. I mean, we might not start cutting hay until the dew settles and that's sometimes eleven o'clock and so you're up and you're sharpening and you're greasing and you're changing oil and fueling things up and that takes a lot of time plus you're trying to get people other people orchestrated on what their day-to-day task is going to be while you're out in the field um so yeah and then the spring and the fall it's so muddy down at the farm i mean we're right on the water we've got heavy clay soils every water just sets right on top of it so you know you're just trying to keep people from you know going out on the fields early and running things up so uh you know, there it's definitely a seasonal position, that's for sure. And the weather, that's that's something that I wouldn't have thought about, is the, the clay and the rutting the fields. Oh, totally, and... yeah. Yeah, I thank God for smartphones because I have my Weather Channel app. And, you know, if, I don't, if I'm up before, I can watch the news or, or if I miss the news in the morning, um, then at least I can look at my phone and be able to know what what the day is going to look like because a lot of it is weather dependent. You know, if it's raining out, you're not in the fields, you know, or if it's, you know, that December 1st manure spreading deadline comes up and you're out in the fields in the rain trying to get it done as quick as possible. You know, it's a lot of it has to do with what the weather looks like and, and what kind of restrictions you're working against. I mean, we're on the water, so we have a lot of restrictions. You know, we can't, we can't graze too close to the water and we have to be careful about the, the amount of animals that we have close to the water and drainage. And, and um, you know, if animals are to get out, we're right on some pretty major roads and they're heavily traveled in the summertime, especially we, we've got a huge campground there. So there's a, over 120 campsites. So start getting a lot of that kind of traffic coming in and out. It's really crucial to keep everything in and, and, and safe. And so, you know, it, it is, it's a, it's very weather dependent. It's very seasonal dependent. And, um, you know, the summertime's our busy season, but 
it's only busy because it's so hectic. I mean, the rest of the year, you're, st you're still just as busy. You're still working the same hours. You're just kind of doing it at a little bit either different pace or, you know, totally different projects. Or working under a roof, which I'm not used to doing. <laughs> there was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines, carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled, you need attention, advice, and individual care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. Experience chef and owner Harding Lee Smith's newest hit restaurant, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Maine Seafood at its finest. Joining sister restaurants The Front Room, The Grill Room, and The Corner Room, this newly renovated two-story restaurant at 86 Commercial Street on Custom House Wharf overlooks scenic Portland Harbor. Watch lobstermen bring in the daily catch as you enjoy baked stuffed lobster, raw bar, and wood-fired flatbreads. For more information, visit www.theroomsportland.com. You've had to be pretty flexible, it sounds like. You've had to yeah. be flexible because of the rain, the snow, the, the time of year. The, I mean, you just, it seems like some of what you do is planning. And some of what you do is, okay, what's right in front of me right now? Mm, yeah, I think the majority of it's right, what what you get when you wake up and what, what it's doing outside, you know. Um, when it snows, I've got a plowing, small plowing business, so when it snows, I'm out plowing snow. But I know that I have somebody else who covers, who goes and feeds the animals. And you can plan things, but you better, make it, you better write it down because you're not going to remember it. Because some, you get down there and there's a water tub that's frozen or... You know, a circuit breaker's tripped, and you got to figure out why. You know, the animals come first, and they need to make sure that they're fed and watered. So, a lot of it, it's all about just kind of writing it down and prioritizing things. And then, of course, your your ten extra things you get every day that are things you didn't expect. You know, it kind of reminds me of being a doctor. <laughs> you can have a plan for the person sitting in front yeah, of you, but whatever fun. it is that they show up with, you just got to deal with when they're there. Yeah, absolutely. Do you work with younger people when they come on the farm? Do you work with people who might want to be farmers themselves? or um, Not my job in particular. I think there's people, uh, you know, my job as the operations manager, uh, I'm on equipment all the time, and it's not a two-seater, you know. And, uh, well, unless it's a truck, you know, and it's not like I'm really bringing people around and showing them what I do just because my job is so kind of equipment oriented I'm always you know if I'm cutting hay people sometimes will come and watch but a lot of the younger um, involvement is with my co-workers that are either that's their job or they're in the barn more than I am you know my job isn't in particular to like go out there and be in and doing new like animal nutrition or being the vet or anything like that I mean a lot of my job has to do with uh you know, the day-to-day -day operations and, and, and safety and stuff for the people that are there. So my interaction with younger people is only when we have big uh, volunteer days, you know, and that's when people are coming, you know, 
businesses or schools are coming and they want to, you know, help us accomplish some tasks. So if somebody were interested in the type of work that you're doing and working on a farm, being an operations manager, um, since you don't have a chance to talk to people coming onto the farm about this sort of thing, what would you tell that person? Um, I mean, we do job uh, job shadowing. I've had some people that have come to the farm and worked there that their high school asks them to do a job shadow, and I love doing things like that. I, you know, there's always there's always time to help young people. I mean, I'm young myself, but somebody obviously did it for me, so I'm willing to do it for them. And I think that my story is a, a bit unique because of how young I am and the position that I'm in now, um, and kind of how quickly it all happened. I think that uh, it's. It's a, it'd be a, you know I, I'm always I'm always open to have people come follow me around the farm, especially because I'm I'm pretty good at getting work out of people. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So if somebody wants to come find out what you do, yeah, they have to be gonna, prepared to actually do it with you. Yeah, you don't show off with without boots on. That's for sure. It's really interesting for me to to think about your grandfather coming to Maine from Massachusetts with a specific intent of um, working on a farm, and in fact, coming from a dairy farm. And now Wolfneck is going to become an organic dairy operation again. Yes. And in fact, train other farmers to offer organic dairy. That's that's a kind of a funny. Uh, it's almost like it was meant to happen or something. Yeah, I, you know, it it is kind of a kind of becoming like a, a circle of uh, of events. I mean, I think when I first mentioned it, mentioned it to my grandfather, he thought. Are you feeling all right? What are you doing? This is you, you understand. This is five in the morning, five at night, milking seven days a week. This is this is a total lifestyle. This isn't just what you think is a lifestyle. And uh, you know, I was over there with a coworker of mine, and he kept saying, you know, well, who are you going to have do this, and who are you going to have do that? And we're saying, well, you know, Grandpa, this is they have equipment that does that now. You don't just bring a a wooden, uh, you know. St- seat in a bucket and start milking i mean this is like a legit we're using equipment and and machinery and it is definitely going to be a difficult change for us but wolfsnake farmer's purpose has been to raise natural meat and and uh and beef and that has that has since changed and and to have and to be doing something uh that kind of puts that puts wolfneck on the map the state of maine on the map new england on the map young young adults that want to be in this field i mean this is an opportunity for people to share a similar story that i have and that is someone's giving you the opportunity i mean i could be in a dealership right now turning wrenches and there's people that do that and they're happy doing that and that's great but being a farmer means that you're you're dedicating your life to something and you know there's people that work on saturdays and there's people that work led the night shift that's you know, and you think, oh, man, I'd hate to have to work Saturday night or have to work through the night. But you're they're looking at you saying, I'd hate to be working seven days a week and milking twice a day. I mean, everybody has a specific purpose in life, I think. And to be given an opportunity in which you can, you know, do what you think is, is best for you. I think that being a dairy farmer is an exciting experience for myself and for these young folks that want to do it as well you know it gives them an opportunity and it's right and it's and it's in a perfect location freeport is so close to everything you know that's why 
that's why I'm there. I mean, I've traveled. I used to drive a truck for a company and go out west and eight months out of the year. And I did that for three years and came back and said, this is, it's got a little bit of everything, you know. So it's a unique place. And I think that, uh, you know, even though my grandfather thinks we're, we're going crazy doing going dairy, I think what started the farm being such a success is that he had a dairy background and he knew animal nutrition and he knew how to take care of animals and he touched those animals twice a day every day. Even though he wasn't milking them, that wasn't, that didn't matter. His, his, his business was keeping his animals happy and healthy and I think that's what brought on a good business to begin with and it's a good business model and that's what we're going to do just milking instead, you know. So it's a, it's a good opportunity for the farm. Well, I encourage people who are listening to read the article that was written by Sandy Lang and photographed by Peter Frank Edwards for Maine Magazine. Also, of course, visiting Wolfneck Farm. That's always a possibility, although if they're going to visit, they have to put their boots on and Absolutely. be prepared to work yeah. if they're going to be with you. Uh, well, we've been speaking with Matt DeGrampre, who's the farm operations manager at Wolfneck Farm, who's uh, carrying on the family legacy. And happy birthday to your 88-year-old grandfather, Charlie. Um I appreciate you taking time out of your very busy schedule and talking to me about what you're doing. It's very different than what I do in my life, but extremely valuable. And it's really wonderful that, that you and your family are doing this for us. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 186, Farm Fresh, Maine. Our guests have included David Herring and Matthew de Grandpre. Read more about them in the April issue of Maine Magazine. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit lovemainradio.com. Love Main Radio is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Love Main Radio Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter and see my running, travel, food, and wellness photos as Bountiful1 on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of Love Main Radio. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring Love, Maine Radio to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed our Farm Fresh Maine show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. Love, Maine Radio is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. Love, Maine Radio with Dr. Lisa Belial is recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Our executive producers are Susan Grisanti, Kevin Thomas, and Dr. Lisa Belial. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Content producer is Kelly Clinton, and our online producer is Ezra Wolfinger. Love, Maine Radio is available for download free on iTunes. See the Love, Maine Radio Facebook page or go to www.lovemainradio.com for details. Mm-hmm.